Welcome back to the 123 Show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Tuesday afternoon. And since it's Tuesday, I'd like to welcome back on the program Andrew Dembina, our Tuesday correspondent. How are you doing, Andrew? Good, thank you, Noreen. Good to speak to you. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well. I was just saying just now to you, this the, the, this weather malarkey is very unpredictable. Uh, I mean, now that we have a window in the studio, I'm sure our listeners are so yeah. bored of hearing this. It's really yeah. nice to be able to, to look at you know the outside world and not to you be sort check. of in the four walls. Um, And it's so yeah. sunny right now. I can't believe it. Are you joking? It, sunny? Why? It's sunny here in Kowloon Tong. Oh, What's it like? All the way... Oh, miles away south in uh, on Lama Island, it's uh, it's cloudy. It's a it's a it's a lighter shade of grey, but it's uh, yeah, there's no sun. Really? Oh wow, it's yeah. it's quite sunny. I mean, yeah. it, it's still cloudy, but uh, you know, it's definitely sunny it's, out there. It's, well, it's a microclimate. Things I often hear that people in different parts uh, of Hong Kong experiencing different things. It's a unique terroir, Noreen. <laughs> Terroir. <laughs> remember, remember that word? So I just throw that one in. It, it means terrain um, in French, or like you know, terrain, you can taste the terrain in the wine. Exactly, or microclimate, affected by the weather and all sorts. Yeah, yeah. I'll just yeah. add to that very quickly. It was about I think uh, three weeks ago, um, and I was looking at the weather, and it said it was uh, seventy mill seventy millimeters of rain in Tunmun, and I looked outside the window in Kowloon and it was so sunny. And oh, wow. It just goes to show, you go. yeah. There I mean, you go. Hong Kong is small, but quite big at the same time. Anyway, it's very pointless what yeah. I just said, but I just thought I'd throw it out there. So wherever okay. the listeners are, um, the weather might be different. And there's, there's, there's no point in this um, quote. I, I don't know. Help me out here. Help me out. What have you got for us? Well, I found it very interesting listening to the guest that was on earlier in the program. Oh, Samuel. Um, yeah, Samuel. And um, and so I've got a few segments. They're all global uh, talking points of uh, that have been reported around the world this week. The last one is something that is also a little bit like like your talk with Samuel, somewhat historical or questioning the origins of a certain kind of food. That'll be the the last one. I'll come to that later. First of all, though, starting off with something of a more serious nature in Myanmar. The uh, millions, literally millions of people. This is quite a serious topic after our, you know, had a, a up, light upbeat weather. start yeah. to the program. Oh. But but it's uh, but it's a reality. Um, millions of people in Myanmar are struggling to buy food <sighs> as the coup government um, and the chaos that surrounded it forces price hikes with all kinds of ingredients. I was reading a report late last week from AFP, the news agency, on this. And it was pretty interesting. Um, I've sent you a couple of pictures yeah. before the program. The first one of people standing in a line is people queuing up for rice because to this is being distributed by the World Food Programme as part of food aid efforts to support residents uh, in um, poorer communities on the outskirts of okay, the capital, yeah. Yangon. Yangon. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and um, so the country's economy, as we may have heard in the news, has been battered since the military coup that uh, that, that pushed out uh, Aung San Suu Kyi from her office of leader, as she was. And uh, but but businesses and jobs have been affected really badly. Uh, lots of factory clo- closures, fuel prices have shot up because 
um, infrastructure has stopped fuel and ingredients all being able to get around in the same way they normally would do. And uh, it's really hit people so badly that people who even have some savings in the Long bank... Long queues have, to withdraw the cash. Yeah, have you heard about that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So going, going out, uh, um, according to the AFP report, going out in public to earn a living has even become a risk because of uh, certain what, what AFP is calling indiscriminate and brutal crackdown on dissent that people can be sort of picked off mistakenly for people who are protesting against the new uh, uh, military government. So uh, it's uh, who, who have killed, according to this report, more than 800 civilians. Oh. I'm talking about this today because it's, I found it quite a shocking read. Yeah. Um, because we, you know, we know what's going on. There's so many places with COVID need. India springs to mind initially, and uh, lo- lots of other places that are not doing well where there have been surges of COVID. But this is a different, this is something else that's going on, really. In normal times, Myanmar exports uh, rice, beans, and fruit. They're an exporter of, uh, of you know, the, of food produce. But now people, according to the World Food Programme, um, will be going hungry by the millions. Um, AFP spoke to a few people on the ground, a mother in Yangon who had seven kids. I mean, seven kids is already going to be a difficulty, isn't it, before this happened, uh, who worries um, whether meals of uh, a sparing amount of vegetables uh, with rice will be able to satisfy their hunger for much longer. Um, so one food vendor in the there was an interview for this article said that price increases since the coup meant that customers could no longer afford whatever they would normally be eating, uh, such as uh, uh, a modest bowl of rice with dried fish. He said that he, even if he sells it for a drop price of an equivalent of 2.5, two and a half Hong Kong dollars, um, that people are still finding that too much to be able to afford. Because everybody's so, sort of lost their jobs and they just don't, they just can't afford to buy it. It's true, but, yeah. but it's, it's, it's also because, um, yeah, they've lost the jobs, but price hikes in remote areas particularly um, have forced up prices of ingredients because, you know, roads and so on, are, there are roadblocks, there are all sorts of things going on that are stopping ingredients getting to people in a normal way that it, that it would in normal times. Rice is almost 50% more expensive, for example. Mm. The cost of transporting produce from farms to cities has jumped up an estimated... Uh, 30% because of uh, a hike uh, in fuel prices. So the World Food Programme, in conclusion, estimates that within six months, as many as just under three and a half million more people will be will be going hungry if things continue as they are. So um, what's a couple of things that are happening on a more positive note to try to help people amongst themselves. There's a grassroots community food donation programme that's that's uh, proved to be higher in demand than it can meet in Yangon, the capital again, um, where it's called Donate Your Extras. And it's uh, basically, it's encouraging people who buy from vendors. This is the second picture that I've shown you, is a stall on a street um, uh, with not, not loads of vegetables, but some green vegetables. And a woman is selling vegetables. And she's part of this scheme in Yangon to help low-income households asking people as they buy vegetables could you buy a little bit more and they have a they have a bag or a box that they're donating to needy people so 
it's, it's, it's an unusual one for us to be discussing, uh, but it's food-related, and it's, uh, it just um, it did strike me as being something which uh, is in, in more dire situation than perhaps we've heard about in a lot of news that's around. Mm. So that's, that's that rather heavy one to kick off with. Um, going on to uh, Singapore now, where there was an interesting story last week by Channel News Asia, who have a TV channel that I used to get when I had a certain uh, cable TV package, but they also have uh, have, have a, a news website. Um, so it reported, Channel News Asia, Asia um, on why pig's blood is banned in the Lion City. And I sent you a picture of pig's blood, um, yeah, which is in the, in the form... Like the, yeah. like the Chinese style that you get in congee. Yeah, yeah, you know it. That's the uh, sometimes it's called um, in English uh, blood pudding or blood curd, yes. and it has a consistency of tofu. For those who aren't aware of it, <laughs> it looks it looks like soft tofu. The texture is pretty much the same. But just the coloring, reddish brown. Yeah, exactly. It's like chicken blood. A lot of the the the. The, the, they call it pig blood, juhong, but actually the ones in Hong Kong that you get in congee stores is actually made with chicken blood, I was told. Well, there are some that are made with chicken's blood and there are also some that are made with duck's blood. Oh. But the, uh, yeah, but the, but the one which uh, has, has come under uh, attention in Singapore is, uh, is pig's blood. And it's, uh, it came up because a Thai restaurant that was including pig's blood in its in one of its dishes thai restaurant in singapore was um investigated by the singapore food agency or sfa for short for illegal possession and sale of animal blood curd and whether they knew it or not this caused quite a uh, a stir in the singaporean social media world with when this story broke uh, that the Thai restaurant was being investigated for using pig's blood curd in one of its dishes, people were saying, well, we've been eating that for years. We didn't know it was mm. illegal or that it was not something that could be eaten. I mean, just just going back a step for a moment, blood products, of course, are used in different forms around the world. I mean, there's black pudding comes to mind in, in, in the UK. Yeah. There's, also, there's also a type of air-dried sausage in uh, southern Chinese uh, food. You can get it in Hong Kong as well. Not sure of the name of it. Maybe you know, Noreen. Which is like a lap chung, air-dried sausage, but it's actually made from blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, the dark, it's, it's the darker one. And it's also an air-dried... I think, isn't yuncha? Is that made from blood? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Ooh. I'm not sure. I, 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 I'm not I sure if like I, the I organs. know the name. Yeah, oh, I, I well, know. Yeah, there's a blood, there's a blood one too, and then there's another one um, in in southern China and other parts of China, which has glutinous rice uh, mixed in with uh, with with pig's blood. Um, so it is it, it is eaten quite a lot around the world. So um, why was it banned in Singapore during uh, uh, a time in the 90s? There was an outbreak of something called the Nipper virus. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I'd not heard of it. It was something that uh, uh, that forced or caused the ban of collection of pig blood from a Singaporean uh, abattoir. There's one main abattoir in Singapore. 
and they also banned the uh, the consuming of pig's blood products at all in food. Um, so, yeah, have you heard of that, Nipah virus? No, I it, haven't. No, right, I hadn't either, and it's one that can be transmitted, another one that can be transmitted from animals to humans uh, or to humans via eating meat products. What's it called so, again, Andrew? Nipah, N-I-P-A-H virus, mm. and it broke in 1998 between a short period of left just under a year, September 98 to June 91 in Malaysia and Singapore. The uh, Singapore's Centre for Infectious Diseases say that when the first human cases of Nipah virus surfaced, they realised, they investigated, and they, they found that particularly with the Malaysian cases, they've been occurring with those who had close contact with pigs, with swine. Ooh. So they suspended immediately live pig imports from affected farms in Malaysia and put it and brought in this ban. Wow. So, I'm just reading it, some news headlines, a bit shocking, but it's it could be the, 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 the other virus that worries Asia. Up to 75% fatality rate, according to some. Yeah, it, it sounds it sounds really nasty, actually. Um, Scary. It, 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 I, when I when I was when I was looking into it, having not heard of it, I also discovered that it can cause inflammation of the brain uh, and be really painful to the person who gets it, and prove fatal indeed. Uh, as there were there were um, there were some fatalities in Singapore during that one year period but it was very short and the uh, the authorities act very swiftly and so 1999 is when the law came in and it's taken until now for a restaurant to be found to be using it and uh, you know and reprimanded mm. and it's still under investigation at the moment strict stuff but uh, also something for people to think about perhaps because you know it's uh, when ingredients if, if, it, if it was thought, if it was proven, I mean, it deserves a bit more looking into, perhaps. But but if it, if it has been proven that there's a connection between Nipah virus and pig's blood products, uh, if things are being imported from sources that are unknown uh, and unregulated, it's, uh, you know, that is something to uh, food for thought on a Tuesday. Hmm. Um, so... So I've I've I've, uh, I've lumbered you there, Noreen, with a couple of heavy numbers, didn't I? With the first two segments here. I'm, I'm um, just uh, worried about this virus because you know we're still. Dealing we don't with... need another one to worry about, do <laughs> I we? And the truth is, I've not even heard of the Nipper virus. Nor had I. Nor had I. It was actually, sounds so cute. It was actually... Nipper. Yeah, yeah. It, Nothing it, cute it was, about that. Just... Not at all. Not a, not at all. It was just hearing that there's um, that there's been this talk of pig's blood uh, uh, ingredients or dishes with it that had, that had caused an investigation that just picked my interest there. And, uh, um, it's, yeah. And I suppose it's, it's in the, like different things if you have organs and all that, you know, I'm a big fan of that. But sometimes, you know, I've, mm. I've tried perhaps, I've tried haggis before. I mean, could yeah. that be, could that have the nipper virus? I don't know. But you think if you cook something, um, it'll be um, fine. I don't know. Yeah. And I think I think I don't know if all the meat in haggis is uh, is is mutton or sheep, but the bladder is, and some of the minced meat is. But but yeah, I mean, all could the it more also reason be... to become a vegan, or you know, to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and also, I wonder 
if there are other cases of the Nipah virus coming from other animals besides swine, besides, besides pigs. Yeah. Don't know. Ugh. That's something else for possible investigation. But turning to another topic, the next to nibble on is a food article from the USA. And uh, it's one that was published by the Washington Post just a few days ago. And it was doing an investigation into the origin of that most ubiquitous dish associated with the US of A. And I didn't send you a picture of, of this one because I thought, I know you love a guessing game. What, what, do you, what, what dish would you say is the ubiquitous or signature dish of the USA? Um, uh, oh, gosh. Uh, macaroni and cheese. Oh, that's that'd be right up there, probably in the top three. Okay. I mean, I mean, I don't, okay. I don't know with the, the official charts, but yeah. T um, I want to say turkey. No, maybe that's just Thanksgiving. G oh, can, Thanksgiving. Can you give me a clue? Um, is it sweet or is it savoury? A fast food staple. Oh, a burger. Yep, you got it. Yes, you got it. Yes. Could have gone hot dog, but you went burger. Correct. Yes. And it, yeah, so uh, the newspaper, the Washington Post, puts their they're heading amusingly, hamburger history is dripping with lies. It researched the subject really deeply and it noticed that it was looking back because hamburgers are invented in America. There's no dispute over that. Um, but the question was when and where. And they wanted to put an end to speculation. And they say that a popular story claims in the year 1900 that a customer uh, walked into a restaurant in New Haven, Connecticut asking for something that he could eat on the go. So he wanted to take away something, and the owner, Louise Lassen, improvised by giving him a patty of the restaurant's steak trimmings. So that's compressed bits of steak offcuts, really. Between It was served between two pieces of toast. Uh, the customer got his carry-out lunch, and the world got its first hamburger sandwich, said, previously said some reports. Which year but, was that? That was in the year 1900. Oh, right. Um, I, so thought, I, I would think it was something to do with Hamburg, like, I don't know, in Germany, because yeah. it's a hamburger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll come to why it's called that in a mo. But um, it's, <laughs> sure. to do with, it's to do with the cattle. It's to do with, the, yeah. The, the, story, the story about that Connecticut first one in 1900 has been repeated so many times, apparently, in books and publications in America. But this article from Washington Post says that there's proof that it's not true. Uh, while that sandwich was being made in Connecticut, there were already other U.S. businesses that were serving hamburgers, they say. It dug up a series of adverts that appeared in a local newspaper in Texas um, in the spring of 1894 that advertised hamburger steak sandwiches. So 1894, we're going back to now. Wow. Um, they were being served at a local saloon. That's a.k.a. pub, American style. Um so uh, it's real sleuthing that they were doing, isn't it, Noreen? It's kind of like, uh, this, this is quite an interesting subject, I think. Um, and they took it really seriously at the Washington Post to, to, to dig even deeper. They investigated it further and found 12 other places in the late uh, 1890s were serving hamburgers in, in uh, a handful or more of states from California to, to Illinois and Nebraska, Nevada, New York, all over the place. So I love the thorough research that's gone into this story. Um, in Wisconsin, many claim that the burger was invented in 1885 at a fair by uh, by someone called Charlie Negreen. 
there are all these different stories. He was a he was a meatball man. He'd already got a got a good trade of making meatball sandwiches. And some say that in uh, 1885 he tried his luck with chopped steak and put it between two slices. It goes on and on, Noreen. I'm aware of the time, so I can I can I, I one I, I'll end by saying that um, one thing that was found that's really interesting in the first century AD. So shattering the Hamburg invented in America theory, uh, a Roman cookbook by uh, a famous one by Apicius has a recipe that looks suspiciously close to the modern burger. It's minced meat patty blended with crushed nuts, heavily spiced and cooked, but no mention of bread. <laughs> but maybe, but the patty, maybe it's the origin of the patty. First century AD in Rome. Wow. So that's, um, but with nuts yeah. inside of it, that's the first time I've heard of... Sort of, yeah, yeah, nuts apart, in a burger. From, it's weird. Yeah, but I, I've heard of nut roast as a, oh, as a yeah, vegetarian yeah, dish, but uh, but not having out meat with nuts. But, uh, yeah, interesting. 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 Well, on this note, it's so interesting that I'd love to have you back on next week for more interesting food news. Andrew, always a pleasure to have you on the programme. Thank you so much and look after yourself and chat to you soon. Thanks. Have a good afternoon. Have a good one. Bye for now.